0: Good morning. There we go. It's good to be have you here to, to worship, and let me also welcome uh, those who are following along in the uh, live streaming. We're pleased to have all of our congregation either here in the sanctuary or you're at home. Let me uh, note a couple of things here. Already I just mentioned, we are live streaming now, and uh, so I don't know if you can be seen right now or not. They got the. The camera, the focus is up close and also back. So be on good behavior for those who are listening in. And uh, let me uh, note, uh, we'll be observing communion. If you did not receive a uh, communion cup with the wafer when you came in, you'll need to get one. I think I see Mark there at the door. If you raise your hand, if you did not get one, he'll see you get. He'll bring one to you. Okay, and. Um, also, I mentioned in a, uh, a letter about possibly having a 630 pavilion service that would be uh, mask optional. If you're interested in that, please let me know. I'm trying to uh, determine actually um, uh, today or tomorrow whether or not to uh, to have a service for that beginning next Sunday. And then let me say in two Sundays from now uh, will be my installation service. So um, that'll be here at the 10:30, and hope many of you'll be able to come for that. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship. Revelation chapter 5 verse 13, hear the worship that is taking place in heaven. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We have come, our great God, to join in with this worship that is taking place in heaven with the saints who have gone before us, uh, with the elders, with the angels, all that are around the throne even now giving worship and praise to you and praise to the Lamb. And we have come to you because of Jesus Christ, who is our Lamb, offered for us. And we pray for the blessing of your Spirit to be upon us, so that as we offer up this worship to you, that you will take delight in this worship, that you will be honored and glorified. In Christ's name, Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing together, We Will Glorify the King of Kings. Confession of Faith, we'll be using the Heidelberg Catechism, questions one and two. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my hand without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life, and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer and begin by praying together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And our Father who art in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that you are the great God, the Lord's sovereign one who is in heaven over all of your creation and that you are our Father who loves your children and that you are here in this sanctuary even now listening to us we pray that in our worship of you this morning that we will truly honor that we will hallow your name that we will serve your kingdom we pray for the return of our lord jesus christ while we are still here may we serve your kingdom well we pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven that we your people above all will strive to do your will not only in our actions not only in our words, but in our very thoughts, to think your thoughts. We pray that you would grant to us today our daily bread. We pray for the physical food that we need. We pray for our physical sustenance. but We pray especially our Father this morning as we have come here in worship to be fed by the word, abide the bread of your word. We pray that you would strengthen our faith to lift us up, our Father, we uh, lift up uh, the city of Atlanta this morning, and we pray for the, uh, the strain, the tension that is taking place there. We pray, our Father, for those particularly affected, the families of the, the man who was killed, the families of the officers, for all those, our Father, who in the first hand are experiencing great pain and great sorrow. We commit them before you. We pray, our Father, that you would forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. That you cause us to have uh, the, the courage, the discernment to look within our own hearts, to confess our sins before you. That we would have the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, the heart of God our Father, to be as those who are willing to pay any cost so as to forgive the debts, of those who have offended us. We pray that we not be led into temptation. Deliver us from evil. There are so many temptations that beset us. And at times we feel despair that we will ever overcome uh, giving way to these temptations. So we look to you by your Holy Spirit. Protect us from the evil one ever seeking to lead us astray. Protect us from the the lures, the, the cares of this world. Protect us from our own weak flesh. Now, Father, we lift this prayer before you because we know that the kingdom is your kingdom that will last forever, that you possess the power to, to answer these prayers, and for you is to glory forever, the very reason for which we live and have our being. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our scripture text this morning is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Let us hear the word of God. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years, Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and sad. They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses and with whom he was provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, let me ask you a, a brief question today. How is your your confidence level today? Some of you have a lot of confidence about your health and not going to get this virus, some of you um, are not quite so confident. Well, our passage is intended to help you with confidence, particularly about confidence with your spiritual health the uh, The problem that our author is addressing in this particular passage is that of falling away from the gospel. He terms it as falling away from the living God. Now, is anyone actually denying belief in God? Well, that's, that's very doubtful. But what likely is happening here is that there are members of that church, wherever it may be, who are starting to fall away from their confidence in Jesus. Now, what's the cause of this falling away? Well, I've already noted before when we've been going through this epistle is that persecution undoubtedly is beginning to, to increase uh, within that church and in that community. These are likely Jewish believers. Many of them, no doubt there, are having pressure placed on them to return back to their Jewish faith. And yet, having said that, that's not where our author takes us. That's not how he diagnoses the trouble. He diagnoses the trouble as being a condition of the heart. Look with me again in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And we've all heard stories of young athletes who, who died on the football field. And in one sense, one could say that the, the, there's physical pressure placed upon them that caused, it was the cause of their deaths. But in many of these cases, it was found that they had a a problem, a condition, a defective heart. And so you might say that there was the pressure from the outside that was placed upon them. But the real cause was an underlying cause, that of the heart itself. And in the same way our author is diagnosing the real cause of falling away from the faith. It is a heart Condition rather than the persecution and pressure from the outside. Now, to continue with this analogy, in verse 13, he warns his readers of being hardened by deceitfulness of sin. You know, how many individuals with heart conditions, and we probably have known some, who have died not because of strenuous activity. But because of the deception about the seriousness of their condition. They may have been warned by their doctors about their bad habits, but you know, they're feeling okay. And so they they continue their same habits that are literally hardening their hearts. And so what our author is, is warning his readers about is look, is is how sin itself can be so deceitful. You can engage in some bad habits spiritually that seem to have no ill effects. In fact, even at times, might seem to have good effects. But they are actually hardening that heart. And so he uses the Israelites in the wilderness as a case study. Here are God's covenant people. They are led out of slavery in Egypt. They're headed now through the wilderness to the promised land. And it should not have taken a long time. Even so, many fell along the way, and it was extended to forty years. They did not make it to the end, and our author is saying the cause is not because the wilderness was so difficult, but because of their hardened hearts. What the wilderness did, what those hardships did, was to reveal the poor condition of their hearts to weather this kind of trial. And so again, the trials did not make them rebel. The trials revealed the the rebellion that had been lying dormant in their hearts. The trials did not cause them to to lose their faith. Rather, these, these troubles they went through revealed their lack of faith that they had previously been able to mask. Now note here the root cause of their strain and of hardening their hearts. He says it is unbelief. Again in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And it's that unbelieving heart that leads them to fall away from the living God. Or in verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter, to get to the promised land, because of unbelief. Psalm 78 is a psalm about the same problems as well, about the Israelites in the wilderness and their rebellion. And in verse 22, pinpoints their problem. It is because they did not believe in God and did not trust His saving power. So unbelief in God, the lack of trust, the lack of of faith in His power, This is the root cause for failing to complete that journey that had begun. And our author is impressing upon his readers, look, the same thing is happening now among you. Well, like a good doctor, he doesn't merely identify and diagnose the problem, but he also prescribes the needed treatment, and he gives a three-step program. First of all, he tells them to take care. Again, back in verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart. Take care that it is leading you to fall away from the living God. Be alert to the condition of your heart. Now, note here that, again, he does not say, be alert to the ways that you can be led astray. Now, would be something that would have been good to say, but Here, he says, be alert to your heart, to that condition. And those young athletes who died on the football field had known the condition of their hearts, well, they would not have been on that field. And likewise, there are many who assume that their spiritual hearts are fine when in reality they are not. And when the trials come, they fall away. You know, that's the same lesson that Jesus taught in his parable of the forest soils. The gospel seed can be planted in hearts and then it may appear that it's been planted in good soil, but then circumstances reveal the heart's true condition, what that soil really was like. Persecution comes, the cares of the world, uh, even the riches, good things come, and all these things do is to uh, reveal the true condition of the heart. And so, just as we might take care to get regular checkups uh, on our hearts, our author wants his readers to do the same thing spiritually. Be alert. Pay attention to what's going on inside your heart. Now, the second step that he gives to them is to exhort one another in verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The New International Version has the term encourage one another. Other translations say warn one another. But the point is this, this community of believers, you need help from one another. You need help to examine and to maintain the condition of the heart. Willpower, a self-determination to get one's heart right will not do the job. They need one another. They need to meet with each other. He's going to make that point in chapter ten. And they need to meet with each other so that they can teach and share the Word of God so that they can share their spiritual journeys with one another so that they can listen to each other, pray for each other, hold one another accountable, encourage, help build up each other's faith. It's by living out the Christian faith together. That's the best way that they can avoid being deceived by sinful mindsets. So there is to be alert, to take care. There is to exhort one another. Thirdly, hold to our original confidence. In verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, it's actually this thought that has set up the topic in our passage in the first place. Back in verse 6, just before this passage begins, It reads this way, We are his house, that is, the house of Christ, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the readers here, again, they're in danger of losing this original confidence in the gospel. Now, no doubt, when they first heard the gospel, it was truly good news. They he felt the freedom from the, from the weight of the law that was imposed on them to maintain favor with God. They, they felt the freedom from the bondage to sin. Their long-awaited Messiah had arrived, and he had won victory for them over death. They felt the power. They felt the love of God, and nothing could have been more certain to them of the reality of the gospel. But what happens? Well, time goes by. And life, not only not getting better, in some ways, it becomes worse. Their families, they've been praying for, maybe have not been won over. Indeed, their families might be giving them grief. Come on back. The gospel, they seem to be spreading rapidly well, is starting to receive pushback in their community. And most of all, probably the worst thing, those sins that they seem to have just completely overcome at the beginning are starting to come back even with more power. Their confidence is cracking. Now, it would seem here that what our author is telling them to do is what I had just said could not be done. You know, Use self-control. Be confident. But it's not quite that what he's saying. Rather, he is reminding them or keeping before them what matters. And what matters is keeping the course. As he says in verse 14, to the end. Finish the race. When we lose sight of that long-range goal, That's when we can easily falter. Now again, Jesus spoke of this in the parable of the four soils, particularly with that rocky soil, which represents the person that receives the gospel, as he says, with joy. This is great. And then time wears on, the trials come, and they fall away. It might well be that these believers had not done what Jesus told his disciples to do, count the cost. The good life doesn't seem to be working out according to the expectations. And so it is important to remind them of the right mindset, that of traveling a long journey that will have its share of trials. And there's also something about the term here that's translated as confidence it actually is not the same Greek word that's translated as confidence back in verse 6. And they're close, they're very similar. You could say that they are synonyms, but there's a nuance between them. That confidence of verse 6 conveys more of a a boldness that a believer feels so that he or she can, can just very publicly boast of their hope. And it comes, no doubt, from the freedom the one now feels in Christ. This confidence of verse fourteen—it's a word that's actually already been used in Hebrews, back in chapter one, verse three, when it speaks of the Son, Jesus the Son, being the exact imprint of God's nature. That word "nature" is the same word that's being translated here for confidence. Now, how so? Well, what it is, what's being conveyed with this term of confidence is a confidence in something that is tangible, something that is real. This is not Julie Andrews confidently singing of her confidence in confidence alone. So our author is reminding the readers, hold on to that original confidence, that confidence that is in Jesus. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. in Jesus being that exact imprint of God's nature. Keep it focused on him. Now, I had to make a confession. And it, it certainly reveals something about me. When I read a passage like we've just read and have just gone through, it actually undermines my confidence. I mean I read this and I'm thinking, you mean I might fall away? I might lose my salvation? You mean i got to work hard here at keeping my faith and I now got to be worried about the, the hardening of my heart? You know, I used to uh, subscribe to diabetes forecasts and I quit a long time ago because all it did was keep telling me all the things that could go wrong. I don't want any more worrying. Well, having, you know, I'm a worrier by nature. And worrying about remaining faithful to my Lord, that's always been right up there at the top of my list. I am unnerved. Anytime I come across that little preposition in Scripture, that preposition that says, if. If you do whatever. I'm not like Julie Andrews. I do not have confidence in me. Now, having said that, I will say that I have arrived. I really have reached a state of relative peace of mind, even of having confidence. After all these years of struggle, uh, even as a Christian, even as a minister, I struggled with this for years. And when I look back at this passage, I can attribute the reason for the change to these three prescriptions that our author gives. Consider the two admonitions, to be alert to an evil, unbelieving heart and to hold to our original confidence to the end. Really what these, these admonitions are speaking to is what I believe about Jesus. Look, here's how my, thinking, how my thinking used to go. And I think to myself, look, I claim to be a follower of Jesus. And look at me. I have failed in so many ways. I've not been bold uh, about in my witness. I commit the same sins over and over again. At times, I even act worse than an unbeliever. How can God put up with it? How can he still love me? And, and by the way, I don't know what I would do if I were really persecuted. I don't know if I would remain true to Jesus if I had to suffer torture. And I think about that. It always comes to my mind whenever I'm in the dental chair for some some reason. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I don't even know if I have it within me to stay the course without persecution. I have seen, I know Christians better than myself who have given up the faith. So why should I be different? Now, have you picked up on the central problem with my thinking? You see, my failure is not that I lack confidence in myself, but I lack confidence in God, and specifically in my Lord Jesus. And my unbelieving heart is not believing my Lord's promise, that he will keep his promise, that I will never perish, and that no one can snatch me out of my Father's hand or out of His hand. It's not believing that my high priest right now is there in heaven interceding for me and that his intercession will avail, his prayers will avail for me. It's lacking confidence in the gospel news that my Savior has won permanently, once and for all, my salvation. It's lacking confidence in the hope of glory that has been promised to me. And so when I came to realize that, that it wasn't really I was displaying a lack of confidence in me, but a lack of confidence in God and in Jesus. Well, that's when I began to back off. It was a denial that Jesus was couldn't keep his promise. It was a denial that Jesus You know, he did his best on the cross, but it just isn't quite good enough. Once I realized that's what I was really saying, I don't go there anymore. I really don't. If my Lord has made a promise that I have read in his word, then who am I to doubt? And I've got enough things to worry about than adding on to this that I'm going to call God a liar, call God someone who can't, keep his promises, that Jesus can't do the work, he's not good enough. I'm backing off of that. So being alert to that, that I'm really doubting my Lord helps to focus my confidence on where it belongs. It belongs on Jesus, on my Lord Jesus Christ. Now having said that, I still at times falter in my confidence in the gospel. I will ask at times, what if it's not true? You know, the culture in which we live, I mean, it's increasingly vocal in asserting that it is not true. Certainly that it's not needed. You know, and I'll tell you, I'll turn to God's Word and I'll begin to read it and it feels dry. What then do I do? Well, you come to my aid, my brothers and sisters. You come to worship. You, and when I see you here, and when I see you and I hear you singing to God, when I hear you pray, my heart is affirmed that the gospel is true. When you speak to me of your faith, when you email me, or you write me, or you post-scripture or some inspirational words on on social media and I read that, my faith is strengthened once more you see there is nothing that undermines my faith more than to be alone but there is nothing that undergirds my faith more than to be in fellowship with the like-minded followers of Jesus and so take care Keep your confidence in Jesus. And use the means that he has provided for you, particularly that fellowship uh, with your church family. He has put us together to keep our hearts healthy, to keep us faithful. Let's pray. We thank you, our God, for the gospel, for the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that work done once and for all. We thank you for the promise that you have made that our Lord Jesus has made that cannot be broken. Thank you that you have placed us in your hands and no one can snatch us out of those hands. Keep our confidence in you. Keep our confidence in our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to turn to the communion at the Lord's table, and let me uh, read first of all the words that come to us of the institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now our Lord has given us this sacrament of holy communion of the Lord's Table. For the very thing that we have just been hearing about, to build up our confidence in Him. The, the bread, uh, the, the cup, are to remind us of that body, that blood that was offered up for us upon that cross. And He wants us to remember that, to look back to that. But He also wants us to know He's serving still as our high priest. And he is ever present with us by the Holy Spirit. He is even now, again, at the right hand of God the Father. And he is interceding for us. So as we partake of these elements, we are to be strengthened in our faith, in our confidence, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, blessed, and broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take eat, this is my body, given for you. The body of Christ, given for you. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup. And having given it to his disciples, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all you of it. Blood of Christ given for you. Father, we give you thanks and praise for our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for his incarnation by which he took upon himself our very flesh and in that flesh made atonement for our sins upon the cross. We thank you that though he died and was buried, yet he rose again. And in his resurrection, we look to our own to come. We thank you that he has ascended on high where he is at your right hand ever interceding for us as our high priest. We thank you for that promise, for our confidence in that promise. It can never be broken, that he shall return again in his glory as our great king. Say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand now and sing together the doxology. Now the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.